0: It is that time of year again here at the Leukemia Foundation to talk about The World's Greatest Shave. The World's Greatest Shave is one of the country's longest-running and most iconic fundraising campaigns, bringing Australians together to champion a good cause for over 25 years. Every year, each March, a community of trailblazers step up to shave, cut or colour their hair, all in the name of funding game-changing blood cancer support and research. Every dollar you will raise will help keep families together when they need it the most. We'll provide practical and emotional support services to patients and their families. We'll help fund cutting-edge research and campaign for change for those affected. We'll help families meet basic costs like putting food on the table, getting to hospital or paying bills. You will join a community of trailblazers determined to shape a brighter future for blood cancer patients and their families. A community that champions change that doesn't take no for an answer. So why don't you sign up to the Leukaemia Foundation's World's Greatest Shave and shave, cut or colour your hair in support of Australians facing blood cancer. Every dollar you will raise will help provide support services to patients and families and keep them together.
1: You get to a point in life where you think you're in control of everything and uh, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it gets taken out from underneath you.
2: I guess I kind of felt ripped off. It's just living in the moment and just being adaptable to situations.
0: Give people voices to talk about, do you know what, that phase is often the hardest and be prepared for it because it's not what you think it will be. Talking Blood Cancer, a podcast for those facing blood cancer by the Leukemia Foundation, find the best way forward using their own purpose that they have in their life and using their passions.
2: I've lost fear and doubt. Like I no longer doubt myself in situations, and nothing scares me.
1: That gives you another goal to work towards and and a reason to live.
0: I'm Kate Arkady, and I am the host of Talking Blood Cancer. This podcast shares the stories of the people we have connected with who have faced a blood cancer so that you, our listeners, can gain insight, find purpose, and take inspiration. Before we get into today's episode, the Leukaemia Foundation acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we share these stories. We recognise their continuing connection to land, sea and community. As the first storytellers of this country, we pay our respects to their elders past and present. This story may contain content that some listeners may find difficult and challenging. We encourage anyone listening to take care of their own mental health and well-being. The purpose of this podcast is to share real life stories of people living with the blood cancer, and any discussion of medical treatments is not an endorsement. We encourage you to seek advice from your treatment team if you have any questions regarding your diagnosis, side effects, or treatment. If you would like to talk to someone, or even if you would like more information on our services or today's episode, please feel free to contact one 800 620 420, and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. So, let's get into today's episode. Today, Mary Ann interviews Damien Thompson, who at the age of 23 was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia in 2010. He underwent a donor-related autologous transplant, which unfortunately he did suffer then from severe GVHD. And a number of years post his bone marrow transplant, he then had to undergo a double lung transplant. He shares such tremendous pearls of wisdom of how he got through the challenges of his transplants. He speaks about remembering to celebrate the small wins, as those small wins turn into big gains. Damien made it his challenge not to let leukaemia win, and he speaks about his determination to achieve this.
2: Good morning, Damien. I'm really excited that you've been able to join me here this morning for our podcast series, Talking Blood Cancer. Um, You know, I know from my own personal experiences walking alongside people living with a blood cancer that I've learned so many valuable lessons in life. And certainly I can say firsthand that I've learned some lovely lessons from you, Damien, over the years. So just to start the conversation, um, are you able to share... A little bit about yourself where were you at at diagnosis uh, what was happening for you how you were diagnosed and where you were living so that just people can have an idea of who you are and what was happening for you
1: yeah yeah so well good morning always great to catch up with you I think uh, my journey started when I was when I was 23 so if I was to reflect back um, pre-diagnosis I was I was fit, um, healthy, playing sports, uh, very active, and, um, and and doing a lot of activities on the weekend. And so, um, leading into my diagnosis, I symptomatically I had a lot of back pain, and um, related to my lumbar spine, uh, which was actually a story in and of itself because. I had injured my back at work. So I associated the pain with the injury. And um, and in doing that, I put the pain off and put the doctors off thinking I was six foot tall and bulletproof, <laughs> um, as you do, as young yes. males do. And, um, mm-hmm. and it got to a point where I found myself in um, the shower, three o'clock in the morning with nothing but hot water running down my back to try and numb the pain
2: right so severe pain
1: very severe pain and um, at that point it was actually i remember the moment when i turned around to the shower I had to turn the cold water off to to get more hot water and found wow. there was no cold water it was all hot and i was scalding my back so it
2: was oh that, damien mm. it was
1: at that point where i thought I had to go into hospital and so I I was in Townsville at the time and it's where I was born and and lived all my life and um, I presented to the emergency ward there uh, with pain and they did a very quick blood test and following the blood test they hit me with morphine and said I'm not going anywhere Wow I've got leukemia
2: That must have been a very devastating moment for you and your family, Damien.
1: Yeah, it was was surreal. It
2: Mm. was surreal.
1: So I often talk about the acceptance and the realisation of your new reality and um, sometimes that can take longer for others um, to accept that. I think for myself I was, it took a few days but once the reality settled in I very much, narrowed my focus on, okay, what can I do to to get better?
2: It's interesting, you know, um, some people who have experienced long periods of pain, like you've just mentioned, sometimes when they get to uh, the diagnosis, there's an element of relief because it was quite extreme, it was an extreme event or extreme pain that they couldn't relate to any other thing in their life. So to have something that they could actually work with or have an understanding of, um, other patients have shared with me that this was quite, you know, it was a relief when they finally got the diagnosis. Did you feel that?
1: Yeah, I, I actually think you're right, and that's what helped with the um, the accepting my new reality once I understood. Mm -hmm. Um, my leukaemia that's when the shift in perspective um, Mm -hmm. at least for me happened and I narrowed my focus and really um, I was really driven to to do everything I can to get better
2: and quite you know one step at a time but certainly takes a lot of determination and I'm sure you were surrounded by a lot of support at the time
1: Yes, very lucky family and friends are a big part of recovery.
2: Yep, absolutely.
1: Um, uh, and, and I was very lucky and fortunate, I had a lot of friends and friend and family support. so um, it, I think during your worst of times, it's good to know that they have you back.
2: Absolutely. So Damien, taking yourself back to that time, what year are we talking? What year we're, did this
1: happen? We're in 2010 now and uh, my diagnosis actually fell on Father's Day. So I'm a, mm. bit, a bit of a party pooper <laughs> in, that, in that sense. So, so um, ne-
2: yeah. next steps for you, Damien. So, you know, you're in the Townsville Hospital. It's Father's Day. You have your family and loved ones around you. Uh, what was the plan of action for treatment following, following that? What was, you know, what, what did they have in mind for you?
1: Uh, it, it was um, immediately decided that I would be going for a bone marrow transplant due to okay. the aggressive nature of my leukaemia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... What type of
2: leukaemia was it?
1: It was ALL. Leukaemia. ALL,
2: acute lymphocytic leukaemia. Mm-hmm.
1: That's right. Um, but uh, again, um, I think uh, having tried to tough it out didn't help. With my diagnosis, um, mm. having let it go a bit longer than I should have, um, so so
2: maybe uh, words of wisdom are: if you do feel unusual pain, to actually get it seen too sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, just yeah. Sim- you know, simple things like a blood test. I tell everybody. Yeah, there's, no, there's no harm in that.
2: Mm-hmm, absolutely.
1: Um, yeah, so, so you were
2: told you needed a transplant what what um what process did they do you know what happened next
1: well um, I was very much focused on my uh, my three months of chemotherapy um, first and foremost but closer to the end of my three months <coughs> it was um, organized for me to go down to brisbane mm-hmm to uh, the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital because at the time there was no facilities um, to to house a bone marrow transplant at the Townsville Hospital and so I was sent down thankfully after um, getting into remission mm. um, and maintaining that remission uh, to Brisbane and housed by the wonderful Leukaemia Foundation and all the... Brilliant staff <laughs> there, and all the support <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: where I met yourself and a few others, um, and then steps were taken to to um, basically facilitate the bone marrow transplant. And, and I had my bone marrow transplant on March fifteenth, so three days post my birthday.
2: Right, so March three days post. Yep. So, yeah. So, so tell me, Damien, who was your who was your um, donor?
1: as uh, my brother my my older brother okay mm-hmm. so back then it was uh, i'm not sure what the matching, HLA matching is like now but it was 8 okay. out of 8 considered very high yep. great um so I was fortunate in that I had that option and um and everything was ready to, to go I just had to prepare myself and be as healthy as I could Mm-hmm. And, so, in uh,
2: saying that, because it's often really, because you know, you know yourself having been there, when you're embarking p- upon something as daunting as a transplant, uh, what are the steps that you took to try and um, diffuse the anxiety associated with that process? Um, and how did you? You said you you prepared yourself. So, what what kind of things did you do as an individual to get yourself prepared for transplant?
1: Well fundamentally it's just narrowing your focus don't 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 put thought into the things that you can't control because it does you no good Mm -hmm. Uh, and focus on the things that you can control um and and in doing that i set out to be at one percent better each day no matter no matter what what that may be uh physically mentally uh, emotionally um and and Having done that, I'd set very small goals. So if I was feeling unwell, um, in order to build my confidence and gain that momentum, I would, um, I would say, if I got out of bed three times yesterday, I'm going to set a goal of getting out of bed four times today. Okay. And
2: the simple things, just but very simple,
1: very simple, small things, but collect the mm-hmm. small wins and treat them as big wins. Um, okay. I think is very important, and, and I'm a big believer in being your own cheerleader.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So once you once you do achieve the the little things and the and the goals that you set, um, egg yourself on and congratulate yourself, and see yourself as the winner. Because again, collecting those wins does a tremendous amount for your mental mental health, and then your mental health affects your physical health.
2: I love that connection, Damien, because I don't, as you know, I totally believe in in that connection of physical and mental and emotional well-being and health. But sometimes, as you may have experienced, it's very hard to take that first step. Do you have any pearls of wisdom that could possibly help shift and change someone who may be struggling with those small steps and taking them?
1: I I do. I do. And everyone has their own Way of dealing with things, so I can only state what helped me. And um, had a lot of time to think and develop these mental tools. And and I think primarily a shift in perspective. I had a lot of problems, and I saw them as problems. Mm-hmm. And they it wasn't doing me any good in seeing the problems because there was a lot of problems, okay. like there are with um, diagnosis and treatment and side effects and
2: yeah and
1: dealing They're with hard things. things to live with. That's right. Um, Mm. So I remember one day I said I've had enough of these problems. I'm going to focus on them as challenges. I'm not going to name them problems. They're going to be challenges. And in doing that, uh, again, it narrowed my focus. It's all about narrowing your focus and just leaving your mind free of everything else and focusing on that next step. And, And having done that, I thought, what is my next step? And it could just be next bag of chemo. Mm-hmm. So I narrowed my focus on that, and I'm like, well, this is a challenge. How can I prepare for that challenge? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I set out to diet, or, or, like I said, uh, if I walked, if I walked say fifty meters yesterday, I'd walk sixty meters today. Okay. Um, and so, again, it's about setting those little, very small achievable goals and then trying to be 1% better each day.
2: And celebrating them.
1: And celebrating.
2: Yeah. So very recogni- important. Mm. So your shift of perspective in recognising what you named or labelled as problems, shifting that perspective and looking at them as challenges But then building some, okay, well, how can I approach these? A way to approach them is to accept that some things you can't change, but what can you do in that moment? And what you chose to do in that moment is to challenge yourself to improve or, you know, invest in a better way of approaching that challenge and celebrated the achievement.
1: Well, that's right. You can can turn away from your problems slash challenges, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which is never good. It's never good because then it's always in the back of your mind dominating your thoughts. Mm -hmm. I think by turning forefront on to your challenges is always the best thing. In doing that, I saw my cancer as an opponent. Okay. And so um, I would prepare for my opponent like I would – uh, going into say the Olympics or ah. a, a sporting match, and so mm-hmm. I set like a little training um, program for myself, which which would uh, feed that focus and narrow that focus, and um, and and obviously help in getting one percent better each day. It's
2: just, like, so post transplant, Damien, just to you know extend on that thought because some people may actually love that you saw your cancer as an opponent and and may love to try and embrace that shift of focus from problem to challenge and building around how to approach that are you able to share just so that because some people m- may need a like a, an explanation of maybe one aspect of how you went about doing that just to you know give them that opportunity to look at how it's done? You know, because sometimes when we're, when we're so locked into, especially an adverse event in our lives, we may find ourselves not being able to see through the clouds and we might need some examples to try and help us you know to try and help us broaden our view open our eyes look at other ways so are you able to extend on post-transplant maybe what a couple of the things that you know that you put in place on a day-to-day basis that actually found that you found um, helped you to achieve and be where you are today
1: well I'd I'd write a list down so I remember these things Um, but it, it was only a handful of things and and each day might be different because you're approached with a different challenge or different emotion each day. So you can refer to those things that help for that particular um, problem slash challenge. And one thing I would do is I would reflect on my um, thoughts or where my attention was each hour of the day. And then I'd question that. I'm like, well, is that helpful, me thinking Mm -hmm. about that? And did that help me? Is that going to help me? And so I think reflecting on those thoughts each hour of the day, you're able to push out any negatives and narrow your focus towards the positives.
2: That's a good idea and that is a good approach. And it's funny, um, well, it's not funny, but um, one of the other previous people that I did actually speak with on this podcast series actually did find themselves looking at thought patterns and saying, well, if I did think like this, would it help? And often if you ask yourself out loud, would it help, I think that's that defining moment when you think, oh, actually, no, it wouldn't.
1: That's exactly right. Well, that's a power in and of itself, right? If you say it out loud, then it becomes, Mm -hmm. you're bringing it to reality. It's not just a thought. So um, one of the things I was taught, um, growing up through sports, uh, through go-kart racing and through other bits and pieces was when things got tough, just say out loud, you can.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You can. And so um, when I felt like I couldn't do something, I would just say you can, you can until I, I actually did it. And that, they were at the very um, hardest moments very, very darkest moments. And so um, I'm talking about just getting up, not out of bed, just getting up um, was a challenge. Yeah, Um, But I'd only give myself five seconds to think about it. Uh, Otherwise, there's a little mental trick that I believe in that if you give your brain more than five seconds, it'll talk you out of it. And so
2: Five seconds isn't long.
1: No.
2: <laughs> no. Your brain doesn't
1: need much to convince your body mm-hmm. to relax True. and chill out and not do something. So, um, yeah, that you can got me out of bed, that you can uh, got me stepping and going to the toilet myself and little things like this. And um, mm-hmm. so I'd actually name each step, you and can, you and can.
2: Mm-hmm. And um, Did anybody help you? Did anybody help you um, process your thinking this way or is it something that you created for yourself, something that, you know, whether it be your upbringing and how you face challenges and, and you know, different things in your past and growing up years that shaped you to the person that you are? Or was there an outside person who helped you with that accepting the things you cannot change but making a commitment to the day-to-day and challenges and self-talk?
1: That's interesting you bring that up because um, no, I, uh, it, I'm i strange in this way that I never... Can we
2: reframe that word strange? St- unique.
1: Yeah, I'm unique um, in a way that um, speaking about the problems or challenges didn't didn't help um mm-hmm. or or getting um how can i put a uh, uh, engaging in conversation on on how someone else would would approach their problems uh enlightened me but at the end of the day i had to uh, formulate my own tools and so i think uh, my personality really directed me towards a mindset that, okay, um, why, n- not the question why, actually, I never used why. I mean, it's like the leukaemia, okay, you're coming at me, I'm going to come at you. Um, and so I don't know what that is, but uh, it, it was a trigger within me that really sparked a fire.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I was not going to to let it let it win.
2: I love that. That's determination, um, yeah. Damien. When you were, you know, I know, I've known you over a number of years, and you have have you have faced some enormous challenges. What did you absorb yourself in to get you through the tough times? Um, I know you challenged yourself, but what did you absorb yourself in to just find that? that comfortable space to accept where you're
1: at? I set out to control time because time slows down Mm -hmm. significantly when you're sick. Um, And so I focused on the next minute, the next hour Mm -hmm. or the next or just that just the day depending on how sick I was. And um, being social for me Mm. was, was the way that I would, Um, handle uh, my illness I suppose or or the way I felt and so just getting on the phone and having a chat with friends yep or engaging with the hospital staff and nurses I was known to be a bit of a prankster and (laughs) a bit of a a bit of a joker and so I played on that a bit and and created created a, a fun atmosphere I think is important um, where you can, but at the same time, um, when you're not well, it's you're, you're respected and and um,
2: surrendering to the moment.
1: Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen to your body. Mm-hmm. Um, it will tell you what to do.
2: Yeah, and
1: don't fight it. Just um, work with it.
2: Work with it, and when the body says to rest, you rest.
1: Exactly, that's and right. acceptance
2: is, you know, quite comforting in that moment, isn't it? Absolutely. So following on from that transplant period and you making those steps day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, how has life looked for you post that 2010 transplant?
1: Well, actually, um, I've had challenges since then, uh, mm-hmm. starting with graft-first host disease. Yes. So nothing has been easy. Um, it's probably a very light word. It's been very difficult mm. um, in that the graft-versus-host disease I had acutely was uh, very, very bad um, mm-hmm. in, the, in the gut, in the skin, and I, I looked like a bit of a burns victim at one stage. Um, mm. And But thankfully, resorting to those tools and, and focusing on the 1%, mm. I overcome that. Um, to the surprise of many doctors actually and um and so recovering from the acute gbhd i was sent home to townsville Mm -hmm. thinking that um uh the recovery would continue but on at, at the 12 month mark a lot of patients uh Taken off their immunosuppressant medications, and at that time, my GBHD returned. Okay. Mm. Um, in the liver and the lungs.
2: Okay. Confronted and, with more adversity.
1: Mm. Yeah, and uh, we were able to control it in the liver, but the lungs, it, um, it, it caused a lot of problems for the next uh, five, six years, um, to the point where I had to have a double lung transplant.
2: Wow, a double lung transplant. So those five or six years, you would have endured quite chronic health problems.
1: Absolutely, very very hard years. Majority of them yeah. spent in hospital, mm. um, or in, in inside. So uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's a long road for some, but I'm very grateful that I had a fantastic team of Mm. doctors and and support network, really, really fortunate um, so that I was able to focus on myself.
2: I love that you use the word grateful, Damien, because I can't even begin to imagine having had a bone marrow transplant and then a double lung transplant, how that would leave a person you know they're two when you look at when you've mentioned earlier problems and you've shifted that focus to see them as challenges that takes good inner strength to actually focus things that way so I admire you that you can you you must have an enormous ability and mindset to be able to choose to focus your thoughts differently
1: well it's hard everything has to be worked at but Yes. Fundamentally, I believe it comes down to a crossroad. You can you can mm-hmm. focus your attention, uh, go left towards the negatives,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or you can focus your attention right toward the positives. Yep. It comes down to one question, yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, will I focus on the negatives or will I focus on the positives? And you need to work at that. You need to mm-hmm. work at that. But um, that's where that's where uh, reflecting on your uh, attention and thoughts each each hour of the day helps.
2: Yep, yeah, absolutely. So during that time when you were shifting that, you know, that focus towards the positives, what are some of the tools that you used to help you keep that focus? Were you someone who used visualization? Um, were you what tools did you use yeah that's a
1: very good point too i think
2: Mm, mm. i
1: project myself to my happy place and i would always i'd never let go of that thought never Mm -hmm. let go of that thought always believed that 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 someday i would be there oh that's fishing and camping in in the wa coastline very specific very specific
2: but that's important i think it neat because that's the you know that's really important that um specific visualization of what you look like where you are what you smell all those five senses interrelated what you can touch see smell hear taste
1: that's right Mm. yep and Mm. and secondly is um so i'd I'd had a lot of pain associated with um my treatments and 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 condition um and in dealing with the pain Uh, In a a funny way, I'd be thankful for it because I was still alive. And in doing that, Mm. it reduced my pain. So a little mental trick I have here I'll share with everyone is that um, um, so my hips, I had avascular necrosis and and the femoral heads had collapsed. So I was walking around in excruciating pain. um, But I'd be thankful for that pain. In a funny way that I could actually feel and touch, and and in doing that, I I would um, redirect my feeling towards, say, my toe, or okay. a, a funny part of my a different part of my body which wasn't hurting, mm-hmm. um, and in doing that, <clears throat> temporarily forget about my pain. Right. And it was it was constantly doing that that really helped me get through
2: you mentioned that you in your um recovery you narrowed your focus um you know and how you've placed a lot of your the beauty of the you know of the choices that you've made and the skills that you have and the mindset that you have that you now have a mission to help other people who you know face different challenges in their lives Are you able to share, you know, how you've gone about doing that, how you want to make a difference in that area?
1: Yeah, so what i found is that I've been helped for so long. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to give back and and have that sense of um, feeling for helping others, which Mm -hmm. really is one of the best feelings that you can get. Um, And so using my experience, I found that I can do that in many ways, um, primarily the, the biggest impact I think I can have is by introducing virtual reality into hospital uh, mental health care. And there's a story there, um, over my 10 years, I've had a lot of hospital admissions and, and isolation and environmental stress. From mm. the machines going off or or yeah. con- constant activity within the hospital or being woken up uh, different stages or or just very small
2: it's disruption.
1: yeah, very, mm. very small things that make a a huge impact. So what I wanted to do and I couldn't at the time, because most of the time I was either neutropenic or or my immune system was very, very suppressed, um, it would be risky to leave the hospital. Um, at any stage and so I turned to virtual reality for an escape okay and um, funnily enough when I started using it uh, I wasn't getting a lot of sleep and that caused anxiety and stress and uh, increased Mm -hmm. levels of that and so using the virtual reality I I was getting more sleep and I was feeling better and my energy levels were rising and so i'd i just do little tests um with the nurse when they came around with the blood pressure and um heart rate monitor and things like this and notice that um after using the vr as opposed to not my okay. heart rate yep. blood pressure were down um
2: so when you say virtual reality can you just share what that looked like what what you know what what did that look like for you in a hospital setting? So even at home,
1: yeah, most yeah. So what it is, it's um, it's an Oculus headset or goggles that you you can purchase, and and within that, I would reflect or escape or transport myself is probably the best word to the environment that I wanted to be in. For example, similar to the thought or maintaining that thought of my happy place. Yep. And holding that thought. So I created that happy place virtually. So I'd wow. go to beaches and sit on beaches and listen to the ocean and, and the seagulls and the birds and and just relax. And I, I'm big into space, so I'd go into space, into a space pod and just um, float um, around the earth as though you're in the space station and just look down and hear the ambient noises and all the calming effects um and even just for distractions um watching a movie mm. feeling like you're in the cinemas so right. it's, it's all about taking you away uh distracting you from the reality of your situation temporarily for that mental reset it does a huge mm. amount for you
2: i love that mental reset and you know how how in- Ingenious, really, because when you do exactly as you just explained, when you are immersed in a hospital setting, in a clinical ward, or even just when you're absorbed in your own negative head talk, to provide an environment that actually transports you, I love that word, transports you to a different environment, well, other thoughts can come into play, can't they? Exactly, exactly.
1: Mm. Very... Very um, simple concept, but very, very powerful.
2: Yes. Yeah. So, um,
1: yeah. So, that led to um, a a way that, or or a focus that I could give myself a goal rather to um, understand how I can provide that for other patients. I should say that um, the first time I've use my virtual reality talking to other patients on the ward um, and lending them the VR headset I barely got a go myself Um, (laughs) and it was at that point I thought well you know it's obviously having a great impact on not just myself but but others and that solidified my um, my thoughts on okay well uh, let's set out to to provide this for other patients and in doing that 2019 I started chimera Legacy Foundation we've got programs launching at the Townsville Hospital and um, one at the Royal Brisbane women's How Hospital lovely. where I had my bone marrow transplant and hopefully progressed to the Children's Hospital
2: so are you targeting a certain age group you know are you tar- do you have target groups in mm-hmm. mind or
1: um, it's a very so the VRs for everybody. Um the adoption, I think, starts with the generations that, that are familiar with this technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's about proving the concept, um, starting with you know, young teens through to 30-year-olds um, and people like myself. And so once that's proven, we can very much understand what applications work best for each age group.
2: Mm-hmm yeah um,
1: and take and, it further you know,
2: further. The, you know the, the you know the need in you to give back i think is is just beautiful i think sometimes um life experience do shape us into the individual that we are and certainly knowing you and the challenges that you have faced and endured and come through the other end um <clears throat> You've, you've made a choice around how you spend time. How we spend time is really important too. Absolutely. You know, uh, you Like you say, do we go negative or do we go positive? It's nice to look at things that bring you joy, which is a part of going positive. However, it's a normal human emotion to feel negative.
1: At that point, at that point, um, something I missed out, which is very important,
2: mm-hmm.
1: is... Uh, one thing I noticed um, in patients, and uh, this, some would focus on what their friends, what their healthy friends are doing, mm-hmm. um, and 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 therefore give them a sense of missing out on life. Yeah, um, well, it's a
2: loss, I guess, and how they think lost opportunities in a way.
1: Well, yes, but then mm. it comes to perspective, right? That's right. It's, it's the acceptance. You are not like them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay? Your new reality is that you are sick. You need to compare yourself to others in your situation um, and or worse. And so I'd, I'd do that. Um, I think it didn't take me long to do that actually when I was first diagnosed. I would be very grateful that I was diagnosed in australia for example where i had the greatest and latest treatments um Mm -hmm. had the professional backing i had the facilities of you know a warm comfortable bed Mm -hmm. um even to the point where i was getting food um, whereas people say in africa or something what would that comparison look like what if i was diagnosed over there and i only use that as an example but um that did did a lot of good for me
2: yeah the importance of your gratitude your gratitude diary things that you need to be grateful for and you know in those darkest moments which i'm sure most people you know most patients have a dark moment because that just makes us human but in that moment, breaking it down and recognising what, what good is around you and f- placing your focus on that, being grateful for, as you say, the treatment that's available to you, the support that's surrounding you, that, you know, all of those littler things that can, you know, that you're in a good position to move forward.
1: Yep. Not,
2: easily, not easily achieved though, is it? David? No, it's
1: not. That's why you need no. to develop your own mental tools and hopefully yes. by sharing mine. Can help others to do to prepare and develop their own mental tools. Yeah, but it does take work.
2: Yep. So just um, you know, just because we've been we've been chatting for quite some time now, and and you know, just to kind of um, summarize, what are the key messages that you think is really valuable for you know those that are listening here this morning? What would you say are the key things um, that you'd like to impart or give? suggestions to those facing diagnosis transplant and moving on from treatment
1: i think you need to create your own little world Mm -hmm. um and forget the world you were in and adopt to the new world that you are in i think and you can you can be the owner of that world uh, which is which can be exciting and fun and Mm -hmm. different um and, and and it does get back to narrowing that focus. I'm a f- firm believer in that. Um projecting yourself one day to to your happy place and holding on to that thought. Um and perspective. Turning those problems into challenges. You do not have problems. Mm. You've only got challenges. Um and yeah, cheerleader, be, be your own cheerleader.
2: Mm. Reward, reward yourself.
1: Reward yourself for every little win.
2: They're lovely messages, Damien. You know, thank you for your time here this morning, and and certainly I will add there um, that virtual reality immerse yourself in something that brings you joy. Your Absolutely. visualization of what happens within is so important in your in how it, in how it affects you emotionally. So you've you've done some. Your focus is wonderful. You continue to support others. Whilst, you know, facing your, you know, facing your problems as challenges, Um, you're a remarkable person and I have learnt a lot from you, Damien, and I thank you for sharing this time with me this morning.
1: Thank you. Of course. It's been great.
2: And that brings us to the
0: end of today's episode. We hope that you found it helpful in some way. If you would like more information on today's show or our services, please feel free to contact 1-800-620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. Also, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe, share, or even give us a rating on your podcast app. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Kate Arkadiff and you've been listening to the Leukemia Foundation's podcast,
2: Talking Blood Cancer.